Terrific morning and very inspiring. So thank you, Dwayne and Juliet, Leslie. Great worship as well. I would like for you to turn to the book of Proverbs and uh, look at chapter 1. And... Uh, a good reading always uh, covers up poor preaching, so let's go ahead and stand and I'll read these uh, verses we'll be looking at today. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is God's word. Amen, amen and amen. Please be seated. I uh, will not be long today, but this is a significant passage in all kinds of, uh, for all kinds of different reasons, and we'll be looking at these verses. And if we will take this book and ingest it, uh, make it a part of our lives, uh, it will deepen every relationship that we sustain as well as revolutionize every area of our lives. So Proverbs is a character-building book. And when we talk about a biblical proverb, we're talking about a wise saying designed to regulate the life of one who loves the Lord. Uh, ironically, only the latter part of the book is proverbial. Uh, the first uh, nine chapters are really a series of ex, um, exhortations from a father to his children about following the Lord. Um, the first nine chapters, are, as I mentioned, are, are, are exhortational. It's the last 20 chapters that are more proverbial. Uh, the title of the book is given in verse 1, and it says the Proverbs of Solomon, but again, uh, it is uh, not comprehensive because not every verse is a proverb and not every author, or Solomon, didn't write the entire book. It was written by a number of individuals, particularly the latter part of that. Uh, but, uh, nevertheless, he is the primary contributor and, I believe, the inspirational genius behind this book. Uh, in his day, the wisdom of Solomon was renowned. Listen to these words that come out of 1 Kings. Now, God gave Solomon wisdom and great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. 
He spoke of trees from cedar, that's in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. People came from everywhere to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So Solomon was a genius. He had encyclopedic knowledge, a keen discernment. And uh, we're part of a glorious heritage of individuals that get to sit at the feet of perhaps the wisest man who has ever lived and walked on the face of this earth. And we get to receive some instruction from him. Now, during our journey, we're going to be instructed to develop our faith in the Lord. Because the promises here in this book are only as good as the Lord who upholds them. So the Lord is behind everything. Now, the purpose of Proverbs is given in verse 2. And it serves as an abstract for the entire book. It reads again, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and discipline, and this is the purpose, to know wisdom and discipline, to discern, be able to discern, and be able to understand. And so what the author wants to do is he wants to develop our moral discernment so that we might know the will of God and our mental acumen so that we'll be able to apply what we know to life's situations and live a life of grace and beauty. You know, several years back, I heard a Chicago-based professor tell an interesting story that reminded me of a lot of homes today. Uh, the, uh, early in the evening, the wife happened to be watching a television show, and it was really a ballet about a man and a woman uh, dancing there. And she was spellbound by it. And she says, honey, you got to come here and watch the grace and the strength, and uh, particularly of the man. He's the best ballet artist in all of the world. And so the man came there, and he saw his strength. He saw his grace. He saw his body control and how he elevates and so forth. And deals with the, the gal that he lifts up and so forth. And uh, the husband looked at the wife and said, don't they all do that? Then a couple of hours later, the husband was watching the Chicago Bulls play basketball on television. And Michael Jordan had the ball at the top of the key and he dribbles through a, an opening that he sees and he lifts off as he's floating on air. And then he kisses the board, uh, the ball right off the backboard into the hoop. And the husband calls his wife and says, Honey, you've got to come over here and see this incredible replay. And she comes over there and she sees this spectacular athletic move of just driving in for a patent and layup. And then she looks at her husband and said, Don't they all do that? <laughs> you see... Uh, the husband didn't have the wisdom with respect to ballet to be able to make distinctions. And the wife didn't have the wisdom with respect to basketball to be able to, meet, uh, to, to, to make distinctions. You see, where each of them uh, saw beauty, the other one was just simply a blur. And so when we talk about wisdom, particularly as it's defined in the book of Proverbs, we're talking about the ability to make distinctions. For instance, do you know when you've talked too long? 
And some of you are thinking, you know, I usually know Gary when I've talked too long, but I always know when you've talked too long. <laughs> and uh, enough said, I, and this may be one of those occasions, I, I, I don't know for sure. Sure, are, do you know when you've overstayed your welcome? You know, uh, Henry David Thoreau talked about uh, some of the guests that he had while he was living at Walden Pond. And he said, some of my guests didn't know when their visit had terminated. Even though I uh, was talking to them and going about my business, but answering their requests from more and more remoteness. You know, uh, sometimes, and I'm sure many of you at times have been over at uh, some friend's house and the hour was getting late, and uh, one of you said to you, your spouse, uh, honey, let's go home so they can go to bed. Well, I think Thoreau probably reversed that. He said, honey, let's go to bed so they can go home. <laughs> you know, and that's, uh, these are all wisdom issues. Uh, that are there. Uh, you know, when you're with others, do you have a sense of when it's okay to bring up a touchy subject and when to be quiet? Uh, handling life well. Handling life well is part of what makes us uh, remarkable, piques the interest of others in the God that we love, in the way we con conduct ourselves in our daily affairs and make decisions, in the way we use our time and get things done, in the way we have insight into people's heart, this is what really convinces other individuals of the reality of Christ in you. So to walk circumspectly is not simply to rise to the occasion so you can make a good impression at a strategic moment. It's what other people see day in and day out in your life and in my life. And if they see foolishness and chaos, they won't see wisdom. But if they see an ordered life, if they see one who is able to respond to a crisis, if they see one who can keep secrets, then they'll see the light of Christ and possibly even the leanness of their own souls. So God will use Proverbs to quell our wayward desire and point us toward beauty every single time. So Proverbs vaccinates our volitional muscle to choose good over evil and right over wrong. It helps us distinguish between shades of conduct so that we might choose that which is of greatest value. And now the twofold purpose. Now, this is where it gets complicated. You've got a, a pretty detailed outline, but the twofold purpose of developing moral discernment as well as mental acumen is expanded in the verses that follow. For instance, in verses 3 to 5, the purpose of developing moral discernment is expanded. And it's expressed from the student's point of view in verse 3 and the teacher's point of view in verses 4 and 5. So let's look at the student's point of view in verse 3. A student receives instruction in righteousness, justice, and equity. And the three words there are important. Righteousness is knowing God's standard of conduct. Justice is following what we know. And equity is doing it with fairness, moral rectitude, and undeviating adherence. 
And Solomon understands that every single one of us are all prone to falling and engaging in all kinds of weird conduct. And Proverbs has a way of just uh, uh, poking us, keeping us on the path of wisdom and community. Uh, Developing moral discernment is expressed from the teacher's point of view, beginning in verse 4. A teacher is to give prudence to the naive, to give knowledge and discretion to youth. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, but a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Uh, A mark of true wisdom is recognizing that there's still much to be learned for you and for me. We need to be open. We need to be teachable throughout life. It'll keep us from becoming crotchety and help us to learn to become gracious. Uh, Verse 4 assumes, by the way, that the youthful and the naive are one and the same. Those who are naive are are simply unaware. They're all around us. They're in promised land. Uh, They're not stupid. They're smart. They're just unaware at that kind of age. Uh, The Hebrew word for unaware means spacious. It means open. It has the idea of having big eyes and big ears. And the naive themselves are easy prey for the schemes of a con artist or the seduction of a huntress. And Solomon talks about both of them in detail during those first nine chapters. We'll be looking at some of that. You see, God isn't critical of the naive. Uh, He just knows that they haven't lived long enough to acquire the wisdom necessary to be spiritually proficient in a culture that's smitten with corruption. Like a sunfish playing with a worm, the undiscerning youth is oblivious to the fatal hook that lies at the heart of most temptations. The naive don't understand that evil is often disguised. It's often dressed in borrowed attire. It promises life but it's laden with death. And Proverbs exposes both of those lures for us. You know, I had a humbling experience of just complete naivete way back in the middle of my college years. You know, I was part of uh, some Christian groups on campus, and uh, during the wintertime, uh, we heard about the snows in the Sierra, and the Sierras, and... Uh, there's a group of about 10 or 12 of us that uh, decided to go snow skiing. Now, I, I, I was a beach bum, a surfer, a water skier. I had never snow, ski, snow skied in the history of my life. And we went up to Squaw Valley there in the Sierras there. The 1960 Olympics were held at Squaw Valley. And I borrowed some skis and some boots from a friend and uh, we had a great conversation all the way up there with people and we got there and settled into where we were going to stay for a night or so and uh, all went there that early morning and uh, paid our fee and put our boots and our skis on and it never once entered into my being here that maybe I ought to take a lesson, Um, maybe spend a little bit of time on the bunny slope. You know, I I didn't even think about it, and it wasn't arrogance, it was just plain old naivete, and I got on the chairlift and everybody else that took us to the top of the mountain, not to one on the side, but at the top of the mountain. And everybody, you know, strapped on their poles and everything and laughing and talking, and they all busted out 
thinking I was behind them. And, uh, you know, I was paralyzed by the picture of the skull and crossbones. But anyway, <laughs> and there was a guy there, there was a guy there that uh, was an expert skier. And these were expert or very, excuse me, very advanced slopes. And he says, I can help you get down if you'll do exactly what I say. And, I say, and, he, and he says, if you don't do what I say, you're going to go down in a body bag. And I says, I'm all yours, man. Just show me how to get down. And uh, I don't know how many times in the process of that I lost, uh, you know, my skis came off and I had to put them back on again. And it took over an hour for a five, six minute run. I got down there and the first thing I did is go take a lesson and spend the rest of the day on a bunny slope while everybody else was separated. And uh, by the end of the week, you know, I was kind of like getting to be a decent intermediate skier. But nevertheless, I learned my lesson just about what needs to be done sometimes. Um, verse 4 mentions uh, that the naive need prudence. And uh, prudence means to actually be crafty. And the same word is used in Genesis to describe the the serpent, uh, the craftiness of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, but the serpent was crafty in a diabolical way, wanting to dupe those who were naive, and that would be our first parents. Solomon says that lovers of God, however, are to use their craftiness in a positive way so as not to be duped by falsehood. You see, the job of the teacher is to help the naive develop the moral discernment so that they become aware of the lurking dangers in this world. You see, children need prudence so that they won't get into a strange car. Uh, youth need prudence when their peers are taking drugs or engaging in illicit sexual behavior. College students need prudence so that they don't necessarily believe everything that they learn in the classroom. You know, uh, one of the great heroes of the Old Testament that really illustrates this is a, a young guy named Daniel. And he had three friends, Hananiah, Asheriah, and Mishael, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were the pagan names. But nevertheless, they were taken right out of Egypt by the Babylonians and hauled to, over to uh, east of there, Babylonia, in order to serve in the king's court. And that would be Nebuchadnezzar. And they were given a heathen education, and yet they had a foundation under God in which the heathen education was able to be mastered by them, but not master them, period. And they functioned in the king's court, and they did better than anybody else, and they had an incredible spiritual impact simply because they didn't compromise. And I honestly believe when I read uh, Daniel chapter 4 that Nebuchadnezzar is in heaven right now simply because of the effectiveness of these youth in his life and what they were able to do and the testimony they were able to sustain. I remember when, when uh, Daniel was in the lion's dead, uh, din, din, lion's dead, lion's den, and, and Belshazzar even comes in and he says, man, you know, uh, you know, has the Lord your God protected you? And uh, so it was marvelous, the impact that they had there. Now, in verse 6, which is the second purpose, uh, you know, in verse 2, 
is developing our mental ability. Now look at the verse 6 here. We're to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. You see, Proverbs introduces the, the reader to a style of teaching that provokes thought, gets under the skin by thrust of wit and paradox and teasing symbolism. And that's why Proverbs demands spiritual meditation and an incubation time before we begin to understand it. In other words, there's far more to a proverbial statement than was actually the line itself because it just has all kinds of tentacles that continue to go out. Uh, so that's why we meditate. That's why we let time, have a time of incubation. Now the motto of the book is given in our final verse for today and that is verse seven. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And uh, that's the requirement, spiritual requirement, for entering into this book and understand it. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, we don't uh, mean to be afraid of the Lord. It just simply means that we're blown away by the beauty of the Lord. You know, Jonathan Edwards was probably... Uh, regarded today as maybe the greatest theologian that America has ever produced. And he made a great statement. He says, the difference between a casual Christian and a committed Christian is that a casual Christian finds God useful, but a committed Christian finds God beautiful. And when you say something is beautiful, what you mean is, is that it's not a means to an end. The beauty itself is the end. It just simply stands on its own. Uh, many of you have um, read uh, the C.S. Lewis books, The Chronicles of Narnia. And, uh, you know, they're wonderful books. And a number of years ago now, they made a feature film of The Chronicles of Narnia. And I suspect that many of you saw the film as well. It wasn't an epic film like the Tolkien's trilogy or anything like that, but it had a, a beautiful spot in it that I'll never forget. And that's when uh, Aslan was giving up his life on this stone tablet. And uh, when he rose, that tablet broke. And uh, it broke over me. And I thought about Christ. And how his death and resurrection broke the condemning power of the law in my life. And as I was watching that film, it, it just, uh, I, I was smitten. It was animation for sure, but it was also for me beautiful heart. And it just washed, beautiful art, it washed over me just to the extent that my beauty sensors couldn't take it anymore. And that broken table was not a means to an end, it was the end, it was the thing. Because it broke the condemning power of the law in your life and in my life as well as we follow the Lord. See, if it wasn't for verse 7, which talks about the fear of the Lord, all of this streetwise instruction would simply produce cunning cleverness. It would uh, be used against people rather than for their benefit. The fear of the Lord or the beauty of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
And the wisdom that we discover from observation is always going to be subservient to the wisdom that we discover through revelation. And it, it makes us real rather than fake. And we don't want to be fake. You know, I think, uh, and I'll close with this, um, you know, in the 1985 Boston Marathon, uh, the woman who crossed uh, the tape the first was a, a woman named Rosie Ruiz. And uh, she's the one that uh, got the glory and wore the wreath. But during the interview, it was really interesting. Uh, they discovered to their shock that this was her first marathon that she had ever run in her life. Uh, they didn't even know who in the world she was. And as the questions continued, one of the reporters noticed that her legs were pale and fleshy, and not at all the legs of a long-distance runner. And as the uh, questions continued to roll in, they, they really discovered that she had jumped into the marathon race at the last mile and then sprinted across the finish line. Uh, it didn't take long before they recognized that she was a complete fraud. So you cannot fake athletic excellence, and nor can you fake spiritual excellence. Oh, we can trick a few for a while, but we really cannot fake it. Inside, insightful men, insightful women will know whether or not you and I have run the entire race. And as we give ourselves to this book and uh, learn through uh, this uh, enterprise of spiritual maturity and authenticity, God will have a, his way in stripping us of kind of the cheap veneer that covers our own souls and filling us with the solid gold purity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will bring about an internal renewal in us that will result in an external change. In other words, we have a chance as we look at this book of becoming more beautiful people. But it's not uh, for us that it's really all about. It's becoming a more beautiful person that reflects the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ that uh, is for his glory, uh, not necessarily ours. Uh, that's what we're all about. It's, 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 uh, we meet today, and uh, I, I think about the mission team that headed south to the Honduras and what's going on in your neighborhoods and the Bible studies that are there and the friends that you're making. Uh, God wants you to be as beautiful as possible because he knows that's what, that people are drawn into the family of God. They're wooed in. They're not yanked in. They're, they're pulled in, and it's just what God has called us to do. Be godly men and women so that you'll reflect my glory to a nation, to a world that needs to know who I am. Father, thank you for uh, this day so far and great worship, a tremendous mission report, uh, inspiring to see uh, what people can do when they give a week or so of their time and uh, go to a place that is so needy and uh, uh, so receptive even to the godly actions and the godly stories that tell them who you are. And we pray that as we uh, uh, close down our service uh, this day and uh,
move on into the afternoon, that our, our uh, spirits would be in alignment with you, and uh, all that uh, you want to do in his Father, I pray that uh, we would uh, enjoy the molding process, uh, knowing what it's becoming. In Christ's name, amen.